0: I've come prepared with a box of tissues. Sometimes I get emotional. I, wasn't, I don't think I will tonight, but those of you who know me know that this is not the rich melodious sound you're used to hearing when you hear me, hear me speak. If you don't know me, you're like, what's this guy talking about? That's okay. <clears throat> I lost my voice at junior high. I was the, had the privilege of serving as the junior high program chair, and about two days in, I lost my voice, and I've slowly regained it back, but um, it was a challenge. But now I've moved on in this progression, so I'm I'm getting a little runny nose. So we're gonna have Seth back there on cue. If I go to blow my nose, he's gonna try to mute me in time so it doesn't project out there, so. Anyway, enough about me. As Chad said, he, he came to some of us on, when was that, Wednesday? Thursday, something like that, last week, and mentioned, hey, my morning speaker, he had a funeral come up, and I'm going to have to find someone to fill the Sunday evening slot, and then he asked me, I was like, sure, so you're stuck with me, third string, you're stuck with me, but I hope that's a good thing, I hope that's a good thing, I want to open us to John chapter 17. We're going to tackle a really big, important chapter of Scripture, and there is a ton of meat on this bone. My son Titus, my four-year-old son Titus, he had a drumstick from this afternoon, and he was dying to get to that delicious strawberry shortcake, and we graciously relented, and he left a lot of meat on that bone. So hopefully you won't be too offended when You know, this rich chapter, there's still so much left there, but we're gonna tackle a few of these things today. With that, I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray to open. Father, I thank you. Lord, though this was not the plan, this was not my plan when I came to camp. This was not Chad's plan. Lord, this was always your plan for some reason or another. And so God, I, I pray that you would speak through your word and through your spirit. And if, if I could have the privilege to communicate the goodness of your son, the goodness of his gospel, even tonight, I pray that you would grant me that privilege. Would the people here have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe the truth? And we ask it in Jesus' name. And they have received them. And I've come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given and I in them. To, well, let's see, it would have been last Sunday. Last Sunday I wanted the opportunity to pray for this camp season in our youth group. I wanted to just take the Sunday school time in our youth group to pray. Pray for what was going to go on over these few weeks. We had, we were, the next day we were planning to bring our teens up to junior high and, and i be the program chair. And then of course this week I'm the teen speaker, so I certainly coveted their prayers. And then next week we have senior high camp. And those of you who you're here at camp, so you understand the working that God does here in this place when you spend a dedicated time in God's word with God's people, away from the distractions of other things like friends and, and phones. And so I wanted to pray, but I knew I knew if, if I just asked someone, "Hey, can you pray for this week of camp?" And it, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, right? The, the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words, because he knows what the mind of the, the mind of God is. But if I ask the average church member, "Hey, pray for this," or ask the average teenager, pray for that. They'll pray, and it'll go something like this. I know this because I ask them other Sundays to, to pray, open, open the lesson, and they'll go, they'll go like this. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can be here today. Please help us to learn something, amen. Of course, I tease them. Again, it's okay. You don't have to have the most elaborate prayers when you pray to God, we know that but I think we can expand, right? Those of us who are in Christ, those of, who, those of us who have been in Christ have been, had some period of sanctification. We can grow in the depth of our prayers. We had some young people specifically coming to junior high, some young girls who I'm confident did not know the Lord. So I wanted them to pray. I wanted them to pray something deeper. Of course, I tease them when they pray that. Dear God, help us to learn something. I say, I repeat back to them, dear God, help us to learn something, please. Maybe you're praying that prayer now, like, I don't know what's going on up there. God, help me learn something from this mess. That can be our prayer sometimes, right? And so I thought, let's look at John 17. And I want to be careful because I don't wanna just look at Jesus and what he did on earth and say, see, there's our example, be like Jesus. See Jesus, be like Jesus. Jesus certainly is our example. He's much, much more than our example. I want that to be clear. But as we come to Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer, if you didn't know, you might be thinking this was his prayer in the garden. It's actually not. This is the prayer in the upper room, right, before he leaves for the garden. The dialogue in John started in, in chapter 13, and we have 13, 14, 15, 16. Jesus has been dialoguing with his disciples. And then we get to chapter 17, and it says, like, the, the, the dialogue from, from previously said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Things like, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Things like, I'm sending the helper to be with you. Those are the things, and many more. We get to chapter 17, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, right there in that upper room, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come, this long-awaited hour in a sense, the long-awaited hour from the beginning of time, right? The beginning of time. Galatians chapter four says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born, of the, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans chapter five, verse six, talks about at just the right time Christ died for us. So creation has been waiting for this moment The hour has come. Jesus, earlier in John, in John chapter two, we have the wedding scene in Cana, Galilee, the first of his signs. His mother comes to him and says, son, they have no wine. And he says to his mother, children don't, well, the children are mostly gone, but teenagers, young people, don't respond to your mother this way. Jesus can do this. He says, woman, what is that to me? I find it interesting. I'm teaching John, we're working on memorizing with my six-year-old and four-year-old and they've made it to chapter two, they've made it to that section, so, so they say that to their mother sometimes. It's, it's cute because they're just quoting scripture. But yes, the, the point is Jesus is saying the hour has not yet come and, and over and over again in Jesus's life we, we get this sense, something is going to happen but it's not yet ready. His hour had not yet come. But now here we are in John 17. Father, the hour has come. The culmination of everything since the fall when God promised, I'm going to send a serpent crusher. The hour has come. And Jesus, praying right there in the upper room in front of his disciples, he asks for something. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. This idea of glory, what is it? Certainly, we have a a base level understanding, and that's good, but even I, I don't think I have a full understanding of the weight of glory. Glory. This glory that Jesus Christ, he gave up when he came to be born as a human, to fulfill all righteousness, to die on the cross. He's given up that glory He counted it as as nothing. But now he's coming to the Father and says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What if our prayers looked like that? Not glorify me, God. They shouldn't look like that, but Father... This week at camp, glorify your name. Glorify your son. We want to have a ton of fun, God, but more than any of that fun, glorify yourself. Glorify your son. May you be magnified. Would you be praised? What if our prayers look like that? This first section, verses one through five, it's narrowed in. The focus is narrowed in with the relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus starts off with just this narrow circle, Him interacting between Him and God. Father, glorify me as I am glorified in you. But then when we get to verse 6, in verses 6 through 19, we get this prayer that extends beyond just the Father, Son, but includes... His disciples, those, he says, whom the Father has given to him. They are his, and the Father has given them to the Son, and the Son has correctly, as only the Son of God could and would, manage them, manifested the name of the Father to the people. The disciples, the 12, up to maybe 500, right? First Corinthians 15 talks about that Jesus appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Maybe these are the people who truly believed in Jesus, not the crowds that were so fickle, but those who truly believed in Jesus. Whoever he's referring to here, either the 12 or the expanded number, he's asking something for them. He's asking something. He's asking for a lot and as I said, I'm going to leave a lot of meat on this bone. But verse 9 says this, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that, that they may be one, even as we are one. It's interesting to me that unity, Jesus is praying for the unity of his disciples. He's about to leave the world in his physical presence. Of course, we know that Jesus, the son of God, is omnipresent. So he's not truly, you know, leaving in that sense. But in one sense, his physical manifestation, his his body is leaving them out of the world. And so he prays for them. And he knows that the Father will not allow anyone to pluck them out of his hand. But inside that teaching on the eternal security of his disciples, that prayer for that security, he prays for unity. Unity is a big topic in our churches, really in any organization. Unity is so hard to find. And I think unity is is so hard to find often because we don't even understand the point of unity. We are not to be unified for unity's sake. It would be a bad thing for us to be unified in that sense. You could look at the world and say, you know what, they're unified around something. We just came off of June, right? as they have claimed that month, the devil has claimed that month, or tried to. They're unified around this idea. They're unified around this idea that we can live however we want, we can throw off all shackles. They're unified around that idea. That's not the unity Jesus is asking for. He's not asking for us to be unified for unity's sake. He's asking that they be unified because they meet up at the cross they meet up at the father. Does that make sense? We're unified because we have the same savior. And when that ceases to happen, we cease to have unity and we should cease to have unity. Jesus has already said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And now he's simply praying to the father, father, Maybe they, may they be one, even as we are one. There's perfect unity in the relationship between the Father and the Son, eternal unity from the foundation of the world. And you can include in that the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And this weight of glory that we are included, not deified, but we are included in that unity that the Father is offering That's an awesome truth. An awesome truth. Next I want to look at verse 17. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctify them. He's already said, they they believe that you have sent me. They're saved. They're believers. None of them will be lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I, I don't want to just leave them in this immature state. We're going to see the immaturity of the disciples if you keep reading on. They're going to abandon Jesus. They're going to deny Jesus. They're going to do all these things. Even though they believe in Jesus, they're true disciples. They're going to abandon him. But Jesus here in the upper room, he's praying, sanctify them, holy them. I know I made up a word, right? But that's the idea. Make them holy, sanctify them, set them apart. How? By what? In the truth. The means of the sanctification is truth. Now, as I interacted with my teens last Sunday, I asked them, What is the truth? It's right there in the verse. You know, sometimes I ask them questions that like if they just kept reading the verse, they would answer it. But they thought for a little bit and they came up with a good answer. They said, Jesus, Jesus is the truth. Certainly true. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So there is a sense in which we are sanctified in the truth that is Jesus. We are not sanctified apart from Jesus. We could not be, but we're also sanctified by the word. Of course, we also know from John 1, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that has been made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father. So, how are we sanctified? How are we made holy? God's word in the power of God's Son, we are holified. And that's what Jesus is praying for. Parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, pastors, I hope and pray you work so hard to disciple the young people, to disciple one another. That's... A no-brainer, how can we not be doing this? And yet, maybe we work so hard, but we don't stop and get down on our knees and say, God, I'm going to to preach the word. I'm going to teach the word. I'm going to be faithful insofar as you give me the strength, but I can do nothing apart from you, God. We get down on our knees and say, God, sanctify my son, make him holy. Holy. As a parent, it's sobering. As a young person, from a young age, it's I thought about like, you know, the perfect strategy to get, you know, my kids, and they would come to know Jesus and it would all be great. But the reality is, no matter how good you are as a disciple maker, no matter how faithful you are, that's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. We've seen this all throughout this passage. The the father has given the son and the son has not lost those who the father has given him. And so there comes a point when you say, I can't keep manufacturing. I can't manufacture a disciple. I can't manufacture faith in my teens. I want it so badly for them. I want it so badly for my children. But I need to step back and say, Father, do this work. I'm going to be faithful, but you do this work. Sanctify them. In truth, your word is truth. And then, in verse 20, verse 26, this this relationship, this dialogue between Jesus and his father that started off with just the two of them and then expanded to cover his, his disciples is now going to expand beyond that. You could say, in a sense, that it's going to expand to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Because in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. There's that sense of unity again. He circles back, just both my disciples are unified and those who will become my disciples, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you and they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that was given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus here, if if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've had your sins forgiven by Jesus, he is here in this upper room praying for you. He has prayed for those who would come to believe in him through their word. The words that Jesus gave to them, they would pass on to others. He's praying for them. And this is something that blows my mind a little bit. In verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, I've always understood this glory to be toxic to humanity, right? We cannot handle the weight of glory. We, we, we're not capable of handling that weight, right? And yet that's the very thing we pursue, just like the father of lies, the evil one, sought the glory that God had and therefore fell into sin. So we also so often seek glory and yet we can't handle it, we can't touch it. And I've always seen it that way and certainly it is that way. And yet Jesus here is like, I'm going to safely handle this glory because this glory belongs to me. But we're going to include you into this glory. Somehow in some way when we're with the Father. And lastly, I wanna circle back to verse 13. Jesus says, but now I am coming to you that these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy fulfilled in themselves. You're gonna hear a lot of preaching. You've heard a lot of preaching in your day. A lot of good preaching. But I think oftentimes we forget that the commands of God are just not do this because I said so, do this because I said so, do this because I said so. Certainly God has the authority to do all of that. We know that. We should know that. God has the authority to say that. And we don't have to say, God, why? My, my kids are at an age where they're, they're asking why and I have to tamp that down. It's like, first, you need to acknowledge my authority over you. And then maybe if your attitude is right, I'll tell you why. But the why here is that we may have joy, true joy. Not the joy the world offers. I'm telling you, the, the world is offering joy everywhere. Everywhere the world is offering joy. At least it advertises itself as that. The other day, I was uh, at the outlet malls in Altoona. Just kind of window shopping. My wife was looking for a specific pair of shoes, Chacos. I don't know. You ladies might tell me why those are special. But she was looking for a good deal and I was strolling around with the kids and just looking. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll run into a sale. But the thought struck me. All this stuff and all these advertisements and all this, that and the other, they're selling something. Well, no duh, it's a store. But They're selling an idea that you will be satisfied, you will have joy if you put this on. Look at this mannequin at Under Armour. He's built, he's ripped, right? Just handsome looking mannequin. (laughs) I can say that. And the idea is if you put this pair of shorts on or this polo on, you will look like this ripped mannequin too, and you will have joy. Of course, there's a million other examples of the world offering joy, 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 joy. But you never find it. My kids, again, I I use them. You you pastors know why. They're an endless stream of illustrations. But my four-year-old, we've been playing the matching game recently. You know, the matches, you lay them out and can't see what's underneath them. You try to match them up. He will... It's so frustrating. He will keep picking the same match, or like the same card over. And it's like, you just looked at that. Like, you knew that wasn't there. That's us with joy. We keep going back to the same sin because we're in search of joy and we pull it up and like, oh, that didn't give me joy. Maybe a tiny little bit of satisfaction or happiness before the gut rot set in. Jesus is praying for Joy that they may have joy. This is our Father. Not the joy of a big house and fast airplane and all that stuff. No, joy. True, eternal, satisfying joy. And I guess the point of all this, beyond just getting a better grasp of who our Savior is and how he loves us and how he prayed for us in the garden, the point of all of this Is maybe our prayers should look more than, look like more than, God help me learn something, or help me to have a good week. Help us to have a good week. What if we prayed specifically for our children, our grandchildren, the teens in our church, the the brothers and sisters who are struggling in our church, prayed specifically for them in this rich and powerful way? And, If we want another example of this, we just have to look at the Pauline epistles, like Colossians chapter one, where it says, for this reason, I also pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you would have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might for his glorious power. And it goes on what if our prayers for one another looked like that? Maybe God would answer them. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pray right now for this week. Father in heaven, what an amazing camp you've given us. Lord, I thank you for all those who have sacrificed time, money, and talents to... To give us what we have here. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified. That your son would be glorified. Lord, not just with us enjoying your good gifts. But would you truly be glorified in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds? Would you be glorified in the preaching? Would you be glorified in the singing? And would we take what we have learned here this week and, and take it to our churches and our families and glorify you in those contexts. Lord, you will maximize your glory. And so we pray that you would be glorified in us. Father, we thank you that you have manifested your name to those disciples. We thank you that you gave you gave them to your son and that they faithfully kept your word, that they believed that you sent him as you indeed did. Thank you for your son. Thank you that they came to know the truth. And Father, thank you that your son prayed for them and for us We thank you that for those who are in Jesus Christ, they may be, they are saved. Father, though you left, though your son left the world, we thank you that he sent the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. We thank you that he sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Lord, I thank you that you guard us so that we would not be lost. We thank you that you offer joy. Joy that the world does not offer. Lord, from the beginning, the first temptation, Satan offered Eve joy, but it did not provide that. Thank you that you offer true joy. Please keep us from the evil one. Sanctify us in truth, Father. Your word is truth. I thank you that we prize your word here at this camp. I pray that that would be true of all of our churches. Lord, thank you that the Son consecrated himself and went to the cross that we may be sanctified in the truth. And Father, I pray that we may be one even as you are one with the Son and the Spirit, that we may be one, not just with each other, but one with you. And Lord, going beyond this week, I pray for the word that was preached previously this summer, that the seeds that were planted at junior boys and junior girls and family one and family two and junior high, and the words that will be preached this week at family three and next week at senior high and family four and family five, that it would bear a harvest for generations to come. We pray that you would get all the glory. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.